Yeah, you know, privacy is one of the most or one of the least talked about, but most important things in the tech world, maybe because it's not sexy new hardware. It's not like something we get a lot of fun. Oh, wow. I guess one box the latest, most private new phone. Like it just kind of happens in the background, but it is, it is important. So I like Apple's stance on privacy and I like what they're doing. I think their move is also, again, we've said this already, but it's very Apple where it's like now there's like this, uh, this stage where you get to installing an app and you opt into everything. And instead of going, oh, wow, this thing on my iPhone tracks me so much, it's suddenly very clear that Facebook is asking for all these permissions and for all this tracking. And when it becomes more clear to the consumer, they can make their own conscious choice about how much they value this privacy. I like it. And I, th- I wouldn't be shocked if we see some sort of a similar like nutrition label for your data somewhere in the Play Store and somewhere in, in future stores. But I do think privacy should be talked about more. And I like the way Apple does it. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am still John Rettinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and gadgets. And John, there's something I realized just this morning. Oh, This show is unique in one way. It's got us. Well, that. But <laughs> every week we surpass and have the best guest of any not just tech podcast, but podcasts in general, while simultaneously not ever surpassing previous guests. We always have the best. It is interesting. But never better than anyone who's ever been here. It's crazy. So this week, we have another one. Someone who I would say is the best in the game, best at what he does. Someone who I've been watching for over a decade, which means over... 29% of my life He wasn't even a man When I started (laughs) watching him (laughs) MKBHD Marquez Brownlee, how are you doing? Oh man, thanks Thanks for having me on I'm doing great, great to see both of you guys And that's a a long time, man It's a long time, it's a long time When I started doing video content It was 2006 So I certainly wasn't using YouTube. I, I had all my chips in blip.tv for some reason, which was a terrible, Huge. terrible bet. But making a comeback. <laughs> Marquez was just a child. I mean, Literally. You, know, you, were a te- you were a teenager. You weren't like a little kid. But it's rare to see people kind of, you know, teens will pick a, a hobby a lot of times that they'll kind of just grow out of. Like they like something for a time. It's almost a fad in some ways. And I specifically remember you through Chris Perillo, who lives like 20 minutes away from me, seeing just the work that you put in from a young age and the dedication, especially through college. When again, when I think of a college student, just an average college student, I'm not thinking someone who is dedicated to perfecting a craft or two crafts, since I don't really know much about Ultimate Frisbee, but apparently being a championship Ultimate Frisbee player, while also being an award-winning video content creator, must not have been easy. So if for some reason there's people out there listening to this show who aren't familiar <laughs> with Marquez, why don't you give us a rundown of um, who you are and what you do? Man, that was... I, there's no way I live up. Uh, first of all, do you guys always butter up the guests that much to get them all in a good mood that was and everything? An intro. I do my research. <laughs> okay, fair. No, yeah, I've been, like you said, I've been making videos for a long time, since 2009, that's when I started. Uh, I've been making tech videos of sorts, reviews, explainers, just videos about gadgets in the tech world in general. I mean, that's the that's the core of the explanation. There's all kinds of other media that ties to it, but yeah. 
So Marquez has obviously made a lot of good decisions over, you know, over the past decade or so, but perhaps one of the best decisions, I don't even know if he remembers this, was <laughs> I tried to hire him many, 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 many years ago. I mean, probably eight years ago. Oh, man. And, and perhaps the best decision that he ever made uh, was continuing <laughs> the independent the independent path and clearly blazing new trails with a, with a production style that I think is often emulated, but never matched or, uh, or surpassed. You know, we, I remember those like old days, like I go back to the beginning of our, I'm putting air quotes around production, where it was like, yeah, you know, one person, a camera, maybe a light and a mic. And that was like overachieving in 2010, 2011. So like the, the fact that it's grown this much since we started, the fact that there's, because I see the crazy part is now I see kids starting, literal kids, I'm talking like 12 year olds who are putting out their first videos they're passionate about tech and you can see it in their eyes, but also their setup is like incredibly well lit and like <laughs> a shotgun mic off camera and like these neon lights behind them. It's crazy. So I, if I was starting today, I'd, I'd have a, a lot harder of a time keeping up with them, but here we are. Yeah. So then I mean, back, back when we started, you know, it was mostly like I was using just a mic and a camera or my webcam, but you started to see things change. You know, I think Marquez, you and John Morrison and Austin sort of with the more artistic eye towards the content. I think really changed what people think of YouTube as a whole, especially now. I don't think we would have gotten to the YouTube space if it hadn't been sort of for you guys changing the conduct, the thought of, of what YouTube videos could and probably should be. Yeah, no, it's it's been fun to watch. And I, I think a lot of other people have joined in this evolution, I guess I would call it, where it's like the, the tech video doesn't have to be super well shot. But since we're all tech nerds anyway, and we're all into camera gear, and we all mess with cameras and video gear, it just sort of evolved that way. So we take credit for being at the beginning of it, but I think it would have sort of happened like this anyway, just because we're all into cameras and in our own way. So it's been really fun. All right. I feel like anytime someone has you on a show, they just want to dive into your complete history. And you've probably answered these kinds of questions 50 to 100 times. So we're not going to belabor the point. I just wanted to let people get an idea of who you were and why we're so like excited to have you here and almost in a way, I don't want to say proud, but like, it's just cool to like, I just remember back then, like watching you evolve over time and just feeling like, this is just cool to see a kid in high school continue to stick to something and not just stick to it, but to a lot of people become the best at it, become the best in the world at this thing that they just started to do. So major congrats, major props to you for all you've done. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Let's jump into a couple of quick notes. First, John and I both launched new YouTube channels this week. Yeah. Um, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to each other, we're, we're laying the right. foundation for these uh, without ever saying anything. So we just one day were like, hey, I'm going to launch this channel. The topic's going to be personal finance. And wait, I'm, do I'm doing that too. When are you doing it? This week? <laughs> oh, I'm doing that too. Shout out to everyone who came out and supported. Um, yes. I think we were both happy with just the initial launch of our first video into this new foray. John's channel is called Money Rush. True. My channel is called Hyper Profit. And if you're interested in that topic, check us out. Quick follow up from last week. I was happy Marquez was here because of the topic. Quick follow-up, AirPods Max case, which last week Renee was saying, you know, why would, why would they throw this in there? Not valuable. I agree on pretty much all points, with the exception being this is not an excuse for Apple. 
that it matches up with the whole AirPods use case philosophy where when you're done using them, you slip them into something and close the top like any other air, the other two AirPods that we've seen so far. That's the, they're looking at me like that. that's a real stretch, which I agree. That is a stretch. That's the only saving grace. I mean, they're you know the same in the fact that they're things that other things go into. I suppose there's very big similarities. Uh, you know, very big similarities. They, both still they go into the, the thing. top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they slide into the top, and you you enclose them with a lid. But the reason I was glad Marquez was going to be on this episode was because of how much. Like it, it seemed like 25 percent of your AirPods Max review focus on the hatred of the case. <laughs> that Apple included. So if you just mm. want to summarize sure. how you felt and if, if that feeling has remained or if it's changed over time. Yeah, that feeling is definitely, definitely lingered. So I, you can't see, maybe it's not on video, but I'm wearing AirPods Max right now. I think they're great headphones. I really enjoy them. I didn't think I would switch. I ended up switching from my Sony's over there that are on a table mm. in their case because I like these headphones so much. The case, on the other hand, you know, I said it in my review, but like there, there isn't a single good thing about this case. Now, I don't know if, you know, you guys maybe talked about this, but after a lot of the reviews came out, there was an engineer who works for Apple who sort of went on a podcast or I think at least answered to a journalist about, you know, some, some questions about how the case got designed and they explained it a little bit. Oh, they wanted it to be small. They wanted it to fold away, but <laughs> none of the explanation lined up with any of reality. So it's still... <laughs> It's a, it's a huge pair of headphones that doesn't fold, and you could easily just have a huge case. They didn't. It's a pretty expensive pair of headphones, so you'd want to protect it. It doesn't. You'd want it to at least be like a high-quality material. I guess you could... Uh, I don't know if I'd even call this a high-quality material. It's kind of this rubberized thing. Every case they make is like made out of this, so I guess that's fine, but there's just not a whole lot to it. Even the little slots down here at the bottom don't make sense. I didn't have much good to say about the case, so in this really big contrast between how great the headphones are and how awful the case was it definitely stood out in my video do you still use the case though so i do and that's because i travel with the the headphones in my backpack and so i need some type of protection if i like just toss them on my desk i don't put them in the case because they're too annoying to put them in the case every time sure but uh, i do keep them in my backpack so i have to put them in some kind of case maybe someone's going to make a better case soon that is the segue so this oh. case right here is from Waterfield Designs. And the reason I wanted to follow up was because a couple people mentioned this case after the show. Gigan last no, week. You can't, people, can't see, people can't see this. I mean, you might as well pack another suitcase to put your headphones in. <laughs> so here's the thing with this case. So obviously, AirPods Max don't fold, so you have to have a, gig a gigantic case like this. But the thing with this case that's cool is, so obviously it fits the whole headphone, but inside near the bottom, you can optionally choose these two magnets and flip them up so it protects in between the two so they're not hitting each other. And there's magnets in there which will put them into the ultra low power state that the Apple ones would do. So it's $99, which on top of your 550, it is leather. They also have vegan leather options for people and they have all these pockets so you can have all your cables in here for whatever you need to charge, whether it's a headphones or anything else. It still feels super big, like John was saying, as far as like slipping this into a backpack does not seem like the easiest thing to do, but there's no other option. If anyone who's going to make an AirPods Max case, be it Apple or someone else that protects the whole headphone, it's going to be this large because they don't fold. So would you, John, you returned yours. Marquez, would you buy something like this, $99, 
leather or vegan leather protects the entire headphone and still supports the ultra low power mode, not just the standard low power mode. Would you use that? So I'm going to say, yes, I would. And I would be shocked if a lot of people also would. Uh, you know how when you go, you see the behind the scenes of how a gadget is made. Sometimes you get to see some of the old prototypes and some slightly different form yep. factor versions or something. I have no doubt in my mind that there are plenty of cases that look just like that sitting around in like a dumpster at Apple HQ where they made a big version and then they made this like a little small version and they thoroughly considered making that exact case and then didn't. And I can't figure out why. <laughs> I can't figure out why. Yeah, no, I think this would be, I, I will be taking some notes. I think I might want to pick one of these up. Waterfield Designs, they are sfbags.com. So SF like San Francisco, sfbags.com, $99. They have um in, they match the colors, the different colors of the AirPods Max. And they also have like a brown leather one that kind of has the distress, like it'll distress over time. Like some people like get that patina. Are they, are they a secret sponsor that I don't know about? They are not. They are not. No sponsorship. They did send this over though. (laughs) They did send this full disclosure, but I just thought like, let me see what's out there. Like my thing was, if I, if I put them in something that's not Apple's case, I want them to go into the ultra low power mode. Like that is my standard. I don't want them dying just because they, the accelerometer knows that it's being jostled in a backpack. So it kind of maintain some sort of connectivity so no sponsorship but it's the only other case that i've seen that supports that one feature that to me was important the other feature which may be important to some people is you can put the airpods max in there with their own case you can double case them if you need to or if you just want to throw this out you can use it separate jeez that's so much work it's like when you put the airpods pro in and then you put the airpods max on top of them because more people know about the airpods pro and you don't want them to know you're rich if there's a product that needs this much explanation and <laughs> spurns this much of a aftermarket, I mean, there's, there's clearly something wrong with the product. Hence why I return mine. But you know what? I, you know, this Fine. is this is the Apple thing, though. They start with a super hyper overpriced version in this new product category. And then three years later, way too late, they make a decently priced, reasonable version. Yep. <laughs> way too late. Yes. So when are we going to get the, the XM4s but Apple? I think those are called Beats. Those, that's Beats Wireless, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? In Apple's opinion, I'm saying right. That's that's their that's how they compete at the three hundred fifty dollar level is with Beats, and then AirPods is a is a, a cut above. Now I don't want to slander too much, but I feel like Apple knows they could just slap an Apple logo on any pair of Beats and and sell it as brand new, and people would love it. People go crazy for it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but people don't really buy Beats like that anymore, right? I don't think they do. I don't think. Let's let's talk. Let's move on to another topic. You mentioned a second ago about prototyping over time, and we've seen that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your RetroTech series for a second. You had a season one last year. I know you're working on season two right now. It's actually funny. My brother works in production on the show, and he was like, hey, have you heard of this guy, Marquez? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's so, it's so funny sometimes, like, when you're in a bubble and you just, real, you just think everybody knows what you know because you're in the bubble. So when someone's like, have you heard of this thing or this person? And you're like, yeah, of course, everybody knows that person. So tell us about RetroTech, how, how season one went for you and maybe like kind of what changes or, or improvements without, obviously I know you can't give too much away what we can expect for season two. Yeah, it was fun. I don't want to give 
I don't want to give too many spoilers, but if you if you saw Retro Tech season one, obviously I focus a lot on new tech like all of us here, but I uh, wanted to sort of throw back a little bit because I, being 27, I, I, sounds weird and old when I say that, but even I now have missed out on a lot of the more important, older pieces of tech that directly shape what we have now. So things like the Sega Genesis, things like the 1984 Macintosh, things like the Game Boy that had like a massive impact on culture. So season one, I just went through like a bunch of things I'd never used, like re-explored them, rediscovered them. It was a lot of fun. Season two is a is a little bit of a twist on that. And that twist will be revealed soon. We're finishing up the production. I'm sure your brother's probably told you. We're in like week eight of 10 or whatever. But uh, we're finishing up production and then we'll we'll get into like putting it all together for spring. But there's a little bit of a twist this time. So it's not just six new gadgets, but it's, uh, it's again, that sort of discovery process. That's a lot of fun. Interesting. So let me ask you this. When you talk about something like a Game Boy, to me, I remember the Game Boy coming out, wanting it badly, and receiving it as a birthday present in, I think I was in third grade. So to me like the Game Boy had always been, like, I remember it coming out. So it's not, it's not old to me so much, yeah. you know, like something that came before, like a rotary phone. How do you see older tech like that, that was kind of before your time, but not so far before your time that your peers see it the same way? Yeah. Does it just seem like an old, irrelevant thing? Or are you able to kind of get in the mindset of how it would have been back then? It is kind of a challenge. I mean, I wasn't alive during a lot of the times that these devices were yeah. so innovative. So like the 80s yeah. and early 90s, I was like, I was born in 93. So yeah, it is a little bit of a of a like trying to get in the mindset of what it was like, what else was around back then that you would be shocked that this new Game Boy was so great you had to get it, you know? The Dynatac was another one we did where it's like having a phone without a cord was such a big deal and taking it places and having it just being able to call people. It's yeah. stuff we kind of take for granted, I think, at the end of the day. So I think reversing course a little bit and appreciating it instead of just taking it for granted was the best part of that. John, did you did you have a pager yeah, back in the day? I did. I did. Issue of contention in my family, but I did have a pager for like a hot, uh, hot minute before cell phones became a thing. And I assume, Marquez, you never... I n- that was like before your time, right? Not only did I never have a pager, but I never had. There's a lot of things I never had. I just saw a TikTok, though, pretty recently of someone asking a child. And when I say child, I mean like a teenager of how you would take a picture. And he goes like this. He just holds up a square. And his dad goes, no, you hold it to your eye. And the kid's like, what are you talking about? Why would you hold it to your <laughs> eye? The screen is right there. And they yeah. did the same thing with like, how would you make a phone call? And he holds it up to his head like this. And the dad goes like this with his pinky sticking out. And he's like, why are you doing it like that? So this little, this whole generational thing of like, I don't remember the pager. I don't remember a time before what I know now. It's fun to, to look back at sometimes. That is funny. The one thing that always gets me is, although you don't see this a lot on a Mac these days, but if you're on Windows and you want to save something, you still have to click on like a hard disk icon where it's like, in office. Do teenagers even know what that is? Like, what what is the, con- why is that save? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because we used to have to insert something and put it on there and then carry it around with us. You would think they would change it to like a thumb drive or something at this point. But anywho, no. So you can't talk about when we can expect more news on Retro Tech? 
spring. Spring is when you should look for season two. Spring is going to be, you know, we'll be finishing things. Obviously, the production schedule gets like sort of, uh, there's a lot of variables with the state of the world right now, but we're looking for spring. Okay. Fair. Next, big topic this week. And again, glad Marquez is here. Tesla. Oh, boy. Yes. Tesla Model S redesign, Model X redesign, and Roadster delay. I own a Model 3 and Model Y. I've always felt the Model S, anytime like I've brought in one of my cars to be serviced and to give me like a loaner Model S, I'm like, why is this thing so gigantic? That's just my, <laughs> how I feel. Marquez owns a Model S. John, you have a Model I have, 3? I have, I have a 3 now, and I know Marquez and I got our cars around the same time because we were both waiting for a redesign. Yep. Right. I was coming. I was coming from an X. I know he had an S beforehand. We were debating. So I, I just have a huge question. Then I want to know what you think about the the redesign. But is that steering wheel going to make its way into production? The yoke steering wheel? Man, Man. it really depends on who you ask. Like if you ask someone at Tesla, they'll be like, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. that's going to be. That's what's going to happen." And if you ask literally anyone else, it's like, "I don't think. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's going to make it." Do you want like, it to make it into production? Do you want to drive with that? A little bit. I said in the video, there's some crazy <laughs> stuff out there that I haven't tried that I am willing to give a shot. I would like to test drive one before I really decide if I want it to make it to production because it seems really cool, but it seems also sometimes awful. For those that maybe haven't seen it, picture like a steering wheel with the top taken off, essentially. And uh, Tim, Tim Stevens from Roadshow put a really interesting article. It's like people are saying, well, race cars have that, right? But race cars, if you turn a steering wheel like an eighth of an inch, like the car just turns, I mean, almost 90 <laughs> degrees. Wow. You know, or 40, 45 degrees. So it makes sense for that, but you can't give that type of turning on a regular passenger car. If the wind blows, you'll end up six lanes over. <laughs> but Tesla has done things in the past to solve problems. Like their that center screen in the Model 3 is a big problem, evidently, in the Model Y for crashes. They can come right at you. So Tesla redesigned an airbag to eliminate that. So I'm, I'm sure they like obviously thought that something like that would be very drastic and they would fix it. But man, it's a it, it's it's interesting look. I'll give them that. You know, there's a video floating around of uh, someone driving a prototype Roadster sometime, like right after the event, where they also have that yoke steering wheel. And there's a lot of talk about maybe Tesla will do ratioed steering like an F1 car. So you turn it a little bit and you can switch lanes, but you turn it a half a turn and you're like really moving. And there's the video floating around. He does like a full like double turn with the yoke wheel and it just looks awful. It looks so inconvenient to like <laughs> to spin this whole thing around like a, it, I don't know, it's... I'm, I'm sure they're thinking a lot about it, but I have no idea. Do you think the upgrade to the wheel, the interior, the, the processing, everything was worth the wait? Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good upgrade. I definitely think it's a good upgrade. My, my question is, is it worth upgrading if you have an older Model S, which I have a, a relatively new, I have a two-year-old car, and I don't really right. think it's actually that big a deal. The biggest difference to me is the Plaid Plus's 520-mile range. All the other interior stuff, yeah. my car is going to keep getting software updates. My car is still fantastic range, still has great charging. But it's just a bunch of small things that have added up to being a nice refresh. If I had a four-year-old Model S with like 240 miles of range and a like zero to like, a, you know, a four second zero to 60 and I'm starting to feel like I'm itching for that upgrade, I think this would be sweet. But that's not a whole lot of people. <laughs> so I think this is still this is still designed for like first time EV buyers because I still strongly believe Model S is and you might disagree, Andrew, is the greatest daily driver on planet Earth. I don't think there's really anything close. <laughs> so I think this little this bumps up its lead a little bit. I do need to clarify 
I'm very interested in test driving what they've done here with the new model. I don't think I want a yoke steering wheel. At least give me the option for a, a traditional one. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I bought a Model 3 and then bought a second Model 3 like two <laughs> months later because <laughs> they announced performance, the performance model. And I was like, well, that's the one I wanted in the first place. And you know, I thought that was coming years later. So I'm the kind of person like I just love tech like i i want to have the most feature rich experience i guess if you will and so seeing you know previously it was it feels like a really large car but it also feels like the technology is older than what's in a model 3 now it feels like it is an improvement in that area so if i can get over the size. And again, I've never owned one. So it's only really been, you know, having it for two to three days at a time when my car's in the shop. If I could get used to the size, everything else looks like a win. In my opinion, I like the landscape orientation of the display. I'm super curious about what they were saying about like the gaming, like 10 teraflops, like it's at, it's on par with the latest gen consoles. Like, is this streaming gaming or is it local gaming? What's happening? What's the, what's up with this screen in the back seat that kind of looks cool, but also looks kind of uncomfortable to like crane your neck down for hours on end. But this, I think is a good matchup to like what Lucid will be releasing soon like tesla had to do something with their flagship sedan that made it on par or above what's coming down from what may be their first legit competitor in the united states john what's happening do you have a delivery coming no there's a bunch of there's a quite a quite a commotion going on uh, outside i think any neighbors may be coming to uh, actual blows outside my window um, which, which is always fun. If this is on video, I would just turn the camera around. Listen, I, my lease is up. I did a two year lease on my model three. It's up in December. I can't oh. wait. Oh, that's perfect. I went from like, I'm getting a, a Rivian R1T. I want a pickup truck to like, Ooh, that model X looking mighty nice, mighty nice. And that, that screen that looks weird to crane your neck, different use cases, right? I have kids and when I go on road trips, it's very annoying with kids. I could stream you know, put a TV show going on down there and my wife and I kept quiet for an hour. Mm-hmm. I'm in. There's not, there's not a price that wouldn't, I wouldn't pay right. for something like that. But Tesla hired, I believe the head of Volvo's interior it must've been five or six years ago. And I think if there's areas where Tesla was deficient, it was in their interior quality. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to seeing if that's sort of up to par now with the competition and what's coming from, you know, from Lucid and the Rivian onslaught and whatever else company is coming down the pipe. But Tesla's software and their AI and the computational processing that's going on is unmatched. So you take a car that already can do a lot computationally, and you add in what I'm presuming is a new GPU, obviously, inside of there. And the potential for self-driving from a pure hardware standpoint is clearly there, right? Like, all of our cars are theoretically capable of self-driving, according to Elon, right? We've seen it in full self-driving beta. But it seems like that would be like a baby step, right? This seems like this might actually be the hardware that's capable of actually really doing it with us sleeping in the back or the robo taxi fleet. And I think that's what's really exciting for what Tesla's doing isn't even from like a car standpoint, necessarily even from a battery or range standpoint, but from an AI and a software standpoint, they are so far ahead of everybody else. And that gap isn't even close. Yeah. Sounds like you're in. Sounds like you're getting I'm, I'm kind of in. I'm, 
I keep I keep looking at that X. I'm like, well, I could probably trade my lease in early, but I always I have a soft spot in my heart for the S. Like it was my my first EV. I don't know. I go I go I go back and forth. I'm excited for something new. Um, something new at least. Speaking of new, delayed Roadster, Marquez. Like, did you did you earn one or two? I don't even remember. Or was I Andy Sly who who earned like six? Like, <laughs> I technically so it was a uh, the referral program. You got two percent discount for every referral over a certain amount and so i think i technically earned like 156 percent off or something like that so i got one and a half one and a half okay so i have a free one sitting in my account and depending on how they arrange the rest of the program maybe it's a half price second one maybe it just goes away i don't know but yeah there's there will be a roadster here at the end of the day whenever whenever it comes out do you see the picture in your in your account? I do finally. It took a while. What a tease! Yeah, to just like, see that <laughs> sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Is that going to be your daily driver car? That's what I'm curious about. So there's two feet of snow outside. I live in the Northeast, so no, I cannot daily drive every day of the year a Roadster. However, when it's nice out, when it's spring, when it's sunny, when it's beautiful, absolutely, I will drive the mess out of that car, and then I'll have a Model S. Or some sedan or something like that with a little more height for everything else. I mean, Cybertruck's coming out this year, allegedly. Right. So we'll see. What is your thoughts on when Elon continues to tease like rockets built in <laughs> to the road? Like, what, what do you envision? Because I'm, first of all, if fire is coming out of a car, to me, that implies some sort of gasoline, which obviously we know that's not going to be. <laughs> I have a very clear vision of it. Is this man trolling us? No, I have a, a so, okay. So here's how it's going to work. Ready? So cold gas thrusters. So you've ever, you've seen those like rockets when they self land, right? They have to orient themselves mm-hmm. in the air and the way that they push and steer those 10,000 ton things, however big they are, is they have compressed air that goes through systems and exhausts out of different sides of it. So if you, you see an astronaut like, like move across, that's compressed air. So In the back of the car, maybe replacing the back seats, maybe the trunk, whatever, they'll have a huge compressed air tank and pumps to fill up that compressed air can. And around the car in various places, behind it, maybe on the sides, they will have exhausts for that compressed air. Because right now, they're up against the limits of physics and traction when it comes to tires. Zero to 60 and 1.9 is about as good as you're ever going to see on street tires, no matter how much horsepower you have. But if you have compressed air... You can just exceed the laws of traction and then just shoot gas out of the back of the car and go faster than zero to 61.9. So Elon keeps talking about it flying and all these other crazy things. Maybe you can put compressed air under the car and maybe at the front of the car so it can like brake super hard. I don't know exactly where it will be and how that'll look, but I, I, I do actually think this is reasonably possible and it will be very dangerous in the hands of regular people. <laughs> That is incredible. That I, my brain is broken imagining these things on the road with just compressed that, air all over the that, place. That scenario sounds both far fetched and incredibly plausible at the same time. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk. That's exactly the the void he lives in. Far fetched and maybe plausible scientifically. Yep. <laughs> Have you tried full self driving it or the the beta of it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny is I really like driving. So I don't actually use self-driving as much as I think a lot of other people, but obviously I have the software. I yeah. paid for it once in a while. I'm coming back from a road trip from a tournament or something like that. Obviously not lately, but 
yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll turn it on. It'll drive me for a while. And I'm just sort of fascinated watching the wheel move and the, the you know, the highway exits now work and it reads yeah. it reads the stop signs. So it's cool. The, the full self-driving beta, like the city street self-driving. Have you have you tried that one? Is that what you're talking about? I haven't gotten it to city streets yet. I still really rely for highway stuff. And obviously that's where it's best. That's fair. Yeah. You know, the next thing on the list seems so unexciting based on the conversation we just had. So just a little footnote, I guess, Ford has announced that they will be running (laughs) (laughs) Android Auto starting in 2023 on all vehicles. Android Auto is gonna be the default infotainment system in all vehicles two years away. Not necessarily Android Auto, Google powered, which I think is a difference. Google powered. Well, what else? And I I think when I talked about Tesla's computational superiority, this is a big push by Ford. Android Auto is just a, a mirroring technology. Yes. Right? Like that's just a, a interface. From your, interface from your phone. Google's been working on sort of a full uh, AI. You've seen it in what the Polestar's got it and some of the other Volvos you're getting in. But it's, it's computational and, and hardware based. So I think it's more than just like seeing Android on your screen. It's letting Ford, I think, I think at least appears to be, jump the line to get closer to what Tesla's doing and the computational power and algorithms needed for self-driving and for autonomy. And Google certainly has a lot of access to that, you know, with, with what Waymo has done uh, and things along those lines. So I think it's a huge win for Ford, who's putting obviously a big bet on electric vehicles and is sort of dedicated to pushing out more EVs. I think full EV by 2035, if 2035 or 2040. So it's, it's a huge push forward for them and people that are, Inevitably, Apple fans going to be upset about this. Nothing to do with what phones in your pocket. Nothing at all. But it's amazing to see the software companies start to lead the charge behind physical cars. Yeah. No, I think it's really interesting. The, one of the biggest advantages Tesla has, like you said, with all that software is they have lots of cars that people buy and drive in autopilot a lot. So they have millions and millions of miles of data to improve their systems. So the question is, will Ford running this across their whole fleet, allow them to log that much data and start to catch up. Yeah. I think it's cool. The crazy thing though is people keep their cars for so long that when Ford starts this in 2023, it's not like every Ford owner all of a sudden is logging these miles, right? It's gonna take, it could take close to seven to 10 years before yeah. they really see a substantial number of miles being allotted at the same time that Tesla is continuing to bank. I believe I I tweeted this about a week ago and I forget what the exact numbers were, but it was something like Waymo has, it was like 12 million miles logged and Tesla had like 2 billion and Waymo was number two, Mm. like Tesla's number, like that, that chasm between number one and number two is so huge that it's hard for most people to realize how much further Tesla is than yeah. anyone else on the planet. And now we went back to Tesla, even though the topic was Ford. But that, that was it for Ford. Moving away from cars, iOS 14.5 is coming. And one of the main features is unlock iPhone with Apple Watch. So instead of presenting you with the passcode screen when it determines Face ID sees you're wearing a mask, it'll right now just give you the passcode screen almost instantly. Instead, if you're wearing an unlocked Apple Watch on your same iCloud account, it will unlock your phone 
by way of your watch already being authenticated. And that's kind of their way around yeah. not having a touch ID, but you know, feature currently. I thought that was a big deal to mention because who knows how long we're still going to be needing to wear masks. And this is something Apple's kind of trying to solve now rather than having to wait for the next cycle of iPhones. Yeah, not only how long we're going to wear masks, but how long till we get a fingerprint reader back in an iPhone. So yeah, definitely a good way. I mean, the, their Apple Watch unlocks have been great on the Mac, so I'm not shocked that they did build this in. The question is, will we will we, will we get Touch ID in the iPhone 12s, 13? Hopefully. That's the rumor. I mean, the rumor is in display Touch ID, yeah. which great. The more biometric authentication you can do great give me give me all the options the way samsung does just give me the options let me do whatever i prefer what kind of caught me off guard though was the realization that currently you can unlock your apple watch by unlocking your iphone yeah you know what i mean like so there's gonna have to be a change there because you can't if you unlock this which already unlocks that now that unlocks this seems like a security loophole that's going to need to be closed somehow. But I don't know. I think it's it's more for me, it's less about the mask and more about this is such an Apple thing to do. No one else, maybe it's because no one else has a, a watch that's worth really wearing. If you're carrying an Android device, that's just my opinion. I mean, listen, I, I do carry an iPhone as my main device, but I think a lot of us in this profession, we're very familiar with pretty much, every, especially an American-made device, we're very familiar with those and use those too. But no one else is thinking the way Apple thinks. And this unlock with your Apple Watch is such an Apple thing to do. And it's going to solve a major pain point, a first world problem, of course, but a major pain point nonetheless in that if you're wearing a mask and you're annoyed by not by it not seeing your face, you no longer have to pull your mask down in anger or frustration. You can just use your Apple Watch and get into your phone. Never pull your mask down anyway, no matter where you are. But you know, it's something that, you know, on the Android side with their wearables and even their phones have had for, for years, right? They've secure Wi-Fi, secure locations. I mean, like, you know, secure position of the sun, they'll unlock your phone for you. It, it's interesting to see Apple sort of realize, you know, obviously the times are different than they were probably when the software was being developed, right? I'm sure this was something that was in their plans for a while and probably got escalated, but it certainly makes sense, right? There's nothing more... I have everything I have secured on my phone is on my computer. I can already use my watch to unlock my computer. Obviously, it's less likely, I guess, to steal my computer or sort of have it fall. But it's certainly a transition that makes sense. And maybe it's a precursor to Touch ID on phones, but perhaps Touch ID on watches as well, adding an extra layer of security beyond just a, a pin code, right? You want to unlock your phone, you put your finger on, you know, clearly a spot for it on the Apple Watch, right? You know, just like we have on the new iPad Airs, put your finger right there, unlock it, and your phone is... It's good to go. Maybe that's a stopgap if we don't actually get an optical or ultrasonic fingerprint reader on the 12S, iPhone 13, whatever they decide to call it. I see that being an interesting selling point and certainly a reason people would upgrade watches. Do you think there's any reason not to have a fingerprint reader in the next iPhone? Like Apple's notorious for waiting and waiting and waiting. And then just when the tech has gotten good enough, boom, they do it the Apple way and it's the best one. We've got maybe three years now of like, okay, we have you know, ultrasonic fingerprint readers, we have optical fingerprint readers, they're bigger now, they're faster. It's good enough now, right? I've been blown away by how good 
Qualcomm's new ultrasonic is on like the S21 line. Like that's crazy fast. I mean, so obviously there's an off the shelf part that could probably be used. Um, but the rumors of them going optical, but like weird optical with some extra layer of AI on top of it is interesting. But I can't see any hardware reason why they they wouldn't implement it right now. Right. It's 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 more biometric options, which Apple's clearly in favor of. Yeah, for me, I've never liked any finger in display fingerprint reader until the S21 line. Like you can put your thumb where the reader yeah. is, even when the screen is off and you're in your device like that feels like. What more do you want at this point? You can instantly get into your phone, even when the display is off, just by putting your thumb in the natural area where you would put it anyway. Yep. Yeah, I That's it. completely agree. It does lend itself, I think, to the next topic they really wanted to ask Marquez about with privacy and what's going on with Apple and Facebook. If I can just transition from that and with, with, with Apple taking a harder stance on privacy and making people have to opt in to a lot of the data gathering that Facebook in particular has sort of been very egregious about souping around. And Facebook has now taken a more aggressive stance against Apple, rumors of a lawsuit, taking out full page newspaper ads saying Apple is anti-small business because small businesses, I'm trying to keep the argument straight in my head, because small businesses won't be able to find new customers because Facebook is unable to track users through iPhones. And it sounds like I'm making that up. But I, I believe that that was the argument that Facebook is is making. So I guess, Marquez, what's your opinion on the privacy issues? And are we giving up any semblance of privacy when we sort of venture out into the digital world? Yeah, you know, privacy is one of the most or one of the least talked about, but most important things in the tech world, maybe because it's not sexy new hardware. It's not like something we get a lot of fun. Oh, wow. I guess one box the latest, yeah. most private new phone. Like it just kind of happens in the background, <laughs> but it is yeah. it is important. So I like Apple's stance on privacy and I like what they're doing. I think their move is also, again, we've said this already, but it's very Apple where it's like now there's like this, uh, this stage where you get to installing an app and you opt into everything. And instead of going, oh, wow, this thing on my iPhone tracks me so much, it's suddenly very clear that Facebook is asking for all these permissions and for all this tracking. And when it becomes more clear to the consumer, they can make their own conscious choice about how much they value this privacy. I like it. And I, th- I wouldn't be shocked if we see some sort of a similar like nutrition label for your data somewhere in the Play Store and somewhere in, in future stores. But I do think privacy should be talked about more. And I like the way Apple does it. Can I just say for Facebook, all these full page ads and this whole campaign against Apple, when did Mark Zuckerberg, and maybe it's the answers always, feel that he has the right to your data because you download his app because you choose to use Facebook always has the right to your location to the data in your photos all that exif data everything when you type a post and delete it and not even post it they still capture what was typed and save that like all this stuff how do you make the argument that it's wrong for us to not have this you're taking what we deserve to have. It's almost as if they're saying the data doesn't belong to the user, it belongs to us, and you're taking it from us and giving it back to the user, and that's not right. How do you, how do you get to that? I think that's always been part of Facebook's core business model, and I think it's a lot of it's just starting to come to light. Facebook stands, just for perspective, Facebook stands to lose, I believe the latest estimate was around $10 billion from people not opting in. 
And I think Facebook is now transitioning perhaps away from the lawsuit to education campaign on why people should opt in. And the big reason they're trying to persuade people to opt in is a, and again, it sounds like I'm making this up and I'm trying to be objective here, is a better ad experience. A better ad experience. You will see more targeted ads to you, Marquez, to you, Andrew, of things that you like. Just give Facebook access to information that your Bluetooth device you're connected to. Let them see where you are when you're outside of the app. Uh, let them check the Wi-Fi device you're connected on. Let them check your GP, GPS data when you're not inside of the app. But in return, you will get better ads. This reeks to me, and I, maybe it's a really bad analogy, of like NCAA and college sports. You get a play. We're not going to pay you for anything that you're doing <laughs> or any of the value that you're bringing. But you, you should just do it. You should just do it anyway. I don't know how. This is like the most losing argument I've ever seen. And Facebook is going to dump hundreds of millions of dollars into an education campaign that is like the most asinine education I, I have ever seen. I agree with you. It's probably not going to work. That's my rant. <laughs> but I... Thanks for, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I do try to see both sides of any you know argument where there are significant stakeholders sure. on each side. And so, I, I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that work for Facebook that feel very strongly about like, you know, this has always been baked into the fine print and the, the user license agreement. When you agree to use Facebook, they already agreed. This is something Facebook's, you know, been doing forever. And the fact that they now suddenly will be opted out until opted back in is super wrong. Why would Apple do this to us? Our business will be hurt by it. I think they, they probably know that this educational campaign isn't going to work, but they're going to try anyway. I don't think you really have that much I don't know if the word is clout, but like, how are you going to, how is Facebook going to paint Apple as the bad guy? Is there anyone out there who loves Facebook and just hates Apple? I don't know if this is going to work. So they'll try, <laughs> but I think they're, they're also playing a lot of other cards behind the scenes of other ways that they can work around this. It is also interesting though, that Facebook is saying this hurts their business when Apple is clearly targeting the benefit of the user which then kind of informs you of Facebook's take when Facebook is making a decision, are they more likely to make a decision that benefits their business and advertising partners or one that will benefit the users of the service? That kind of answers the question right there, right? Like, why would you hurt your business partners for the benefit of your users? That sounds crazy. That's what they're saying. Yeah. To play devil's advocate, just because I know it will be played, wouldn't you rather have better ads? Wouldn't you rather the ads not be about like where to buy a horse and like about, I don't know, diapers <laughs> when you don't have a kid or like just random complete garbage that doesn't apply to you at all? Wouldn't you wouldn't you rather have ads that are actually kind of useful? I want the ads that tell me where to buy a horse, number one. <laughs> but number two, I want to buy a, a diaper for my horse. <laughs> horse uh, diaper ads. <laughs> Let me pay, though. I will pay. Twitter, let me pay. Facebook, like any service, let me pay for an ad-free experience. Give the people who would want to do that the option, and then there's your money, and give me my pro I'll pay for it's my not, privacy. It's not, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's even close to that. Oh, I'm sure. When we talked a lot about Apple, I, I think Apple never does anything without thought behind it. Every move they make, as benign as my team to us, is done deliberately. And from a marketing standpoint, what they're doing is really interesting. They knew who they were isolating when they started doing this. Like they, they were very aware it was going to be a Facebook issue when they started putting these into iOS 14 betas. But it makes a bad guy and it makes a good guy. 
and it makes it very clear perspectively, obviously, who Apple is positioning themselves as. And it makes a common enemy for a point that Apple feels very strongly about for privacy. Now, Apple's main goal, obviously, is to their shareholders, right? All these people who scream that Apple's stealing money, is it's just a ridiculous argument. But from a shareholder standpoint, positioning your company as the good guy in the battle on privacy is so brilliant. And Facebook, as a company, people are beginning to be more wary of anyway. It just It's a fascinating exercise in marketing. That's true. All right, let's, let's move on to the last topic of the show. 2021 hopes, expectations. John, you, you proposed this one. It's true. I don't know if you have any answers for this one. Well, um, like, let, 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 I, I talked a lot. Let's not Marquez. Like the question is supposed to be like tech trends that might co- finally come to fruition in, in 21, like things we or might devices. Actually, or devices. Yeah. Things you might actually, actually see this year in the realm of plausibility. Right. So there's a couple ways I could go. I mean, one of the things I talked about, I did a video earlier in the year, actually, of just like 2021 tech I'm looking forward to, which is pretty broad. But if you remember all of Apple's campaign last year about 5G just got real. 5G just got real. And it was like kind of cheesy, but also like, yeah, kind of right. <laughs> I think you're going to see every phone in, in 2021 have 5G. And I'm, I'm excited about that. So that's one thing. I think electric cars continue to take a step forward in the world's thought about them and, and overall usage. Obviously, maybe Cybertruck happens this year, which would be pretty sweet. Allegedly, the first... Do you think Lucid ships on time? No, no. I, I don't think anyone ships anything in the electric car world on time other than maybe the occasional Tesla accessory. It's very rare. Uh, the stuff's hard. So I don't think to ship on time, but I do hope they ship something good. I hope they ship what they promise, basically. So I think electric cars take a step up and I'll toss in Apple Silicon Max. I'm just looking forward to the rest of them. The first ones were good, like really good. Yeah. So, you know, when we get that MacBook Pro, you know, always seeing all these rumors about when we get this new iMac, we're seeing all these rumors about, you know, they promised a two-year transition. So if they go through their whole lineup in two years, maybe we see a, a new Mac Pro too. So Apple Silicon, I'll, I'll toss that in too. Let me ask you this about Apple Silicon. I was just thinking about that this morning. So there's the rumor that there will be an update to the Intel Mac Pro and also the M1 Mac Pro, which would be smaller. My assumption is if there's an update to the Intel Mac Pro, that would be this year's product. And then the new Mac Pro will be the completion of the two-year transition next year. If we get an, let's just call it an M1Z iMac this year, do you see yourself moving from the Intel Mac Pro to that? He's shaking his head vehemently no. No. And if not, why not? <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of the current Mac Pro. It's been a workhorse for me for the, is it two years now that I've had it? Absolutely the best computer I've ever owned. I can edit 8K raw, uncompressed workflows without dropping frames. It's unreal. So you'd have a really hard time convincing me to switch to any iMac that inevitably has significantly less upgradability and thermal potential. I guess, yeah, the, the Apple Silicon version is going to be really good, but the only computer I would change to is another different Mac Pro. I got to have the thermals. I got to have maximum performance just in my work machine. Now, if you're talking about at home where I'm sitting in front of an iMac right now, yeah, sure. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be down to switch to almost anything in this new lineup, I think. But for work, it's got to be the Mac Pro. I want to reiterate, and I understand everything you just said. Apple's entry-level computer today outperforms the entire lineup with the exception of the Mac Pro. 
today. That's the entry level. So if they release an iMac. Yeah, I've got to quantify what outperforms means. Yeah. Outperforms on single core for sure by, it's not even close. My, my question, I guess, is more if there's an iMac that is, let's say, 30 inches and outperforms the current Mac Pro in both single and multi-core function, but obviously would not be as modular or expandable. Mm-hmm. Do you consider switching due to power or do you stay because of the expandability? So it's an even bigger no, because if I see if I see that level of performance in a new first gen Apple Silicon iMac, then that means what we get from the Mac Pro is going to be even better than what we see and that I should definitely get that one. The other question is GPU. Obviously, we love CPU performance and single core was incredible on these M1 Macs. Multi-core was great, but obviously if you want to do stuff that takes advantage of the GPU, you got to get a machine with the GPU. 16-inch MacBook Pro still crushed it with GPU. And the two GPUs I have in my Mac Pro do a lot of work for me right now. So that's still something to keep an eye on, but I am very much looking forward <laughs> to whatever they whatever they put in those machines. Okay, next question. I'm just taking you down the line. Okay. Half-size Mac Pro. Right. Incredible power. What is your anticipation... Like my main fear is what am I doing with these two MPX module graphics cards and the afterburner card? Because when I hear half size and when I hear things like similar to a G4 cube, what that means to me is this stuff is not going to fit in there. So do you have any worry about what a new Mac Pro might offer? Like, is, is there a step backwards where Apple released this computer with so much modularity that we may be losing some of that again? So there's a pretty big conundrum, I guess I'll call it, (laughs) in the Mac Pro world, which is if you're actually a professional that uses your machine for work and relies on it daily for stability and everything it does, you almost by default have to skip the first generation of new things. Because that's where you find all the bugs. That's where you have to iron stuff out. And so when I'm gonna, we're gonna see this new Mac, you know, Mac Pro come out half size. It's gonna be really tempting. It's gonna be sexy. It's gonna be smaller. It will not support the NPX modules. It won't have the benefit of two years of people putting work in and testing of all the Intel stuff we know works so well. So it's gonna be really tempting because of the performance it promises. But I think the smart move will actually be to wait a little bit. And whether that means wait for a second gen or wait for some software updates to iron stuff out, then we'll really see what it's made of and what, it, what it's capable of. But it's going to be really tough to not get it as soon as it's announced. Because, you know, they're going to drop some crazy numbers on stage like this will outperform every Mac Pro ever made times two. And we'll all just go, what are you talking about? But uh, we'll have to we'll have to cross our fingers on that. John, I want to know from you. I'm very curious. The same question yeah. talking about our 2021 hopes, expectations. What are you looking forward to this year? Awesome. I, I think I'm looking for improvements in battery technology, which would make everybody's lives better. And I think this is the year of rollables. I think we get the first prototype, odd developer rollable technology. It's something new. It's something shiny. It's something to talk about. Something that's probably hardly impractical will break easy and will probably have uh, rocks somehow embedded underneath the screen and screen protectors that come off. But 
I think it's awesome to see this first gen hardware developed out in the open. I give companies credit. That that that's what I'm personally jazzed about. And then back to the M1 Mac and Apple Silicon things. These computers have no business being as good they are for for a freshman effort. I mean, clearly, I have have no business being this good. I'm on a a MacBook Air right now that's just been a beast of a computer. On the pro side, whether it's with graphics cores or they they open it up to to GPUs, uh, it's amazing. And I think it's going to push competition further. I think you're going to see Intel obviously respond in kind, maybe a new race for ARM respond and think whenever one company does something really well industry, it raises all ships. I'm really excited to see the response. And it's going to take probably a full 12 months for we see the response. So towards the end of 2021, we'll see something, but everybody's going to win, right? Whether you hate Apple, you love Apple, you don't care at all. It's going to make everything better. And I really want to see what the res- competition's response to Apple Silicon is going to be. I have a suspicion that similar to when Steve Jobs was on stage and said, this phone, the first iPhone is five years ahead of what anyone else is doing. And it really kind of did feel like it took Android half a decade to kind of catch up to where Apple was five years after with the iPhone five. Apple has been working on this line of chips for a decade. And so when competitors are rushing to jump in with their take on what kind of what Apple's doing, I feel like it's going to take three years before we see on the PC side of things, the same type of speed and just precision and battery life and everything that Apple puts into their chips replicated on the other side. But year of rollables, you? can you define year of rollables? Because I mean, like we, we, we saw rollables from TCL, from LG. I mean, do you think there's going like, to be a rollable they, 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 release, they, they, though? The, the screens literally roll out. To oh, I know, but these are larger, like tech demos. To make a larger screen. I think we're going to see it, man. I think Samsung or LG is going to be the first to do it. Are you predicting there will be a rollable device that the average consumer can buy before no, the no, end of 2021? No, not the average consumer. Think like first-gen Galaxy Fold. Where I think they should have called it a developer edition, made it crazy expensive. And a lot of the problems could have been avoided. I think we see something like that. Not a not an average. Oh, I got three hundred bucks for a new phone. I'm going to get myself a rollable. I'm talking like three thousand dollars, probably minimal functionality. But like, look at this thing. But you expect us to be able to buy one for yes. whatever price before yep. the end of 2021. I do. You can hold me to that. Wow, bold prediction. I love that. I think it's going to happen. I'm I'm optimistic. Why not? But a pessimistic, pessimistic past twelve months. What do you What do you think, Andrew? What's your like? What What are you excited about for this year? I'm kind of like I think all three of us have talked about the Mac, and it's like I cannot remember when the last time was where so many people were excited about a computer, like a computer, yeah. a new laptop, or a new desktop. It's just not the focus. Like any an individual who buys one, they're excited that they have a new thing. But as a collective, a new computer just hasn't really been on our radar when compared okay. to a new smartphone or a new service even. So we're like experiencing the dawn of a new age in computing. And to me, especially, I mean, as someone who needs computing power for like the kind of jobs that we do. Yeah. That is just really cool to experience for me. So I am Really excited to see what comes next as far as pro machines from Apple. And then, you know, my most used device 
every year is going to be my iPhone. So I'm always just curious to see how that's going to evolve. Yeah. Don't expect too, too much craziness this year, but just seeing again, the locks, like where is the lockstep in the A series processor and the M series processor going forward? How does the iPad fit into that going forward? Sure. All of that to me is kind of the most fascinating thing. And then also, can we get the cyber trucks out in Q4? <laughs> so excited about that. You already said unlikely. So it may possibly deliver several, like one or two <laughs> will come right. out. Factory's not even standing it, right? Like there's not even right, like four correct. walls around, around where it's going to be built. <laughs> Andrew, does the iPhone have a port? Ooh, does the iPhone have a port? Okay. So I mentioned this last week, hot tip inside information, not a hot tip anymore. Cause I already mentioned it last week, but I know for a fact that the ultra wideband chip can transfer data at like Thunderbolt speeds. So if you can have the MagSafe slap on the back of your phone and that becomes fast data transfer Mm -hmm. along with fast charge, because MagSafe this year is faster than wired charging last year, I can then see how the transition happens with minimal disruption. If you need to transfer a backup from your phone, from your Mac, just slap it on there and you're good. Is this year the year to do it? I feel like it's a next year thing. I feel like it's not a, it's not an S year thing in my, just in my opinion. This is like a, you don't think like one phone, like a iPhone, iPhone 10 style, like flagship. I don't feel like Apple. I don't feel like this is Samsung would do it. Samsung would say, here's the ultra and the ultra doesn't even have a port on it anymore, but the whole rest of the line does. The ultra has 5g. The rest of the line doesn't. Apple doesn't seem to be that kind of company. Apple's more, we're all in or we're not. Although, I mean, they sell, they have a new phone with Touch ID still and no Face ID, so. iPhone 10 was only a few years ago, man. Yeah, 10 and 8. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Oh, okay. If I had to, listen, if I was making a prediction, I'm saying port goes away 2022, not 2021. Okay. Marquez, can you get a phone without a port, an iPhone without a port this year? Uh, Have you been testing it for three weeks already? (laughs) if If I'm a betting man. Because I don't have insider info, I'm going to bet the port is gone. What? I agree. I'm with him. I think Are there's you one serious? phone. Wow. One yeah. phone. And everyone will have your reaction, Andrew. Are you serious? No port? But it's that's the Apple. That's the Apple twist. They're hitting their stride. They're going to do it. I don't mind that, by the way. I'm not against the no port thing. I just feel like it's one year after introducing the charging accessory feels too soon just in my head. But... If you guys are right, I'm completely on board and I want to see it happen. There it is. That's our show. Marquez Brownlee, thank you so much for taking the time out to thank you, thank you. join the show, talk tech with us. <laughs> if for some reason people don't know, let people know where they can find you if they want to learn more There's about no your watching content. doesn't know. <laughs> I know. It's such a weird... I just say it every week. Just have to be consistent. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. If you search these five letters on pretty much any search box on the internet, you should find me. MKBHD. Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I'm out there. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really 
wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.